Hey, welcome to the Redeeming God podcast. Sort of sounds like the beginning of a movie, doesn't it? (laughs) Well, maybe this podcast will be as exciting as an action movie. We'll find out. We're going to be talking about the sealing of the Holy Spirit today from Ephesians 1.13. And we will be comparing that with the filling of the Holy Spirit to find out why and how they are similar, why and how they are different, the conditions for both, and uh, some of the other things related to the filling and sealing of the Holy Spirit. So thank you so much for joining me. I am your teacher for this podcast, Jeremy Myers. Oh, as far as our lesson from, our our letter from a listener, we will be looking at a question they have about the doctrine of hell. Okay, so uh, you know what? Let's just dive right into that and... You've got some mail. Begin right away with a question from the listener. So this was the question sent in by a listener. What prompted you to reject the traditional view of eternal conscious torment widely held by conservative Christianity? Yes, okay, it's a fantastic question. Um, I don't know if the person who sent this in knows that I have written a book on hell. It's called What is Hell? and taught an online course. I have an online course about hell in my discipleship section of the website at redeeminggod.com. But the question, um, I think, I'm trying to remember if I addressed the specific question in the book. If not, let me address it here. So I did grow up believing the traditional doctrine of hell, which is, um, I should say, the traditional doctrine of hell widely held by conservative Christianity, as as the, uh, the questioner put it, because I think that depending on what form, what brand, what uh, denomination of Christianity you're in, eternal conscious torment might not be the majority view among all Christians, okay? But it is definitely the traditional and majority view within conservative evangelical Christianity, and that's, that's the group I grew up in, okay? My father was a pastor. The church I was part of taught it. I went to a Christian school, grade school, in fact, uh, grade school and junior high and high school, K-12, all the way through, uh, where they taught this uh, doctrine of traditional uh, eternal conscious torment, which is this idea that that uh, unregenerate people, uh, those who don't have eternal life, go to this place of burning and suffering torment where they are, are, are burnt in flames for all eternity, screaming and suffering and agony. I think you're probably familiar with this view. Now, not only did the church I go to believe this and the school I went to, but then I attended a Bible college that also taught this, and as well as the seminary I graduated from also taught this view of hell. Okay, so what happened? How did I change my view? Well, the first step in rejecting this view was when I realized that Jesus fully reveals God to us. Okay? I mean, just think about that statement. Jesus fully reveals God to us. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John 14, 9. He says that multiple, I and the Father are one. Okay? Multiple times throughout the Gospel of John. Now, elsewhere in Scripture, Paul talks about this. Other biblical authors talk about this. We learn that Jesus is the exact representation of God. He is the image of the invisible God, as we read in Colossians 1 and Hebrews 1 and elsewhere. Okay, so here's the question then. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Paul writes, and the author of Hebrews writes, that Jesus is the exact representation, the image of the invisible God. So the question we have to ask ourselves then is, is that true? I mean, is it really true? Was Jesus right 
Was Paul right? Uh, they said, Jesus said, that, that he fully revealed God to us. In other words, if we want to know what God is like, all we have to do is look at Jesus. All right, and specifically, how he behaved, what he did during his life on earth. All right, and so that was the question that made me start rethinking hell, and here's why. Because I believe what Jesus said, I believe what Paul wrote, that Jesus fully revealed God to us, okay? And uh, if, if, so it made me think, okay, uh, I cannot imagine Jesus. Here's the really, really the ultimate question that made me start re- rethinking hell. Can I imagine Jesus taking people who reject him or do not believe in him during his life and rounding them up and throwing them into a pit of fire, throwing them into, you know, digging a hole in the ground, starting a fire in there, burning them at the stake? Uh, is Jesus going to torture people who don't believe in him? <laughs> The answer to that, obviously, is no. We cannot ever imagine, at least I hope you cannot, ever imagine Jesus doing those things. In fact, he didn't do those sorts of things anywhere in his earthly ministry. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the exact representation of God. Okay, so Jesus never tortures anybody, let alone for all eternity. Jesus doesn't even torture somebody for a few seconds. In fact, the one time, there was a time in uh, Luke 9 where a town did reject Jesus, and his disciples were so upset about it, they're like, Jesus, let us call down fire from heaven, okay? Here's the one chance Jesus has to show that, yeah, you know what, God has a dark side. He likes to burn people who reject me. Uh, and, and this is the chance. If Jesus is going to fully reveal God to us, this is the chance that Jesus has to say, you know what, I'm going to reveal to you at this time this this side of God that we don't really like to talk about, where he burns and, and tortures, burns in fire people who, who reject me, Jesus. But that is not what happened. What does Jesus do? The disciples say, let us call down fire. Jesus rebukes them. He says, you don't know what spirit you're of. In other words, this has nothing to do with me. That idea has nothing to do with God. It has nothing to do with me. The Holy Spirit is not leading you, guiding you, teaching you, encouraging you to say those sorts of things. So stop it. That's not what I'm about. All right. So if Jesus doesn't and wouldn't and never did burn people for not believing in him, and if Jesus fully reveals God to us, then guess what? God also wouldn't burn people and doesn't burn people or torture people in fire, flames of fire, not even for a few seconds, let alone for all eternity. All right? Now, if someone says, well, but the passages, this passage and that text, it says that God does torture people in fire for all eternity. We just have to believe the Bible. Okay, I get it. There's lots of texts that seem to say that. But then what you must say, if you are going to believe that those passages really do teach eternal conscious torment, then what you must also say is that Jesus did not fully reveal God to us. That's what you must say. That is the logical conclusion. Jesus never revealed that side of God. And if that's the way God is, then Jesus didn't fully reveal God. Then he is not the exact representation of God to us. He lied to us. He didn't show to us a very important aspect of God, if that's the way God really is. Those are your choices. 
Either Jesus was telling the truth or Jesus was lying. Either Jesus fully revealed God to us or he didn't. Okay, My preference is to believe what Jesus said and to believe what Paul wrote, that Jesus did fully reveal God to us, that he truly is the exact representation of God, that if you want to know what God is like, all you have to do is look at Jesus. That's my view. Okay, And so if that's true, then... I, I'm not just going to deny and reject those other texts around Scripture that seem to indicate there's this place of burning and suffering in the afterlife for unregenerate people. We can't just deny them. Instead, we need to study them and read them uh, and come to a new understanding of those texts in light of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, in light of the fact that Jesus fully reveals God to us. Okay? So, uh, that was my sort of the impetus the, 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 the beginning of me wanting to understand those texts in a new way. And I didn't know how to understand those texts initially. It took me several years, lots of reading and thinking and studying to come up with my current view. Okay? And uh, so anyway, that's the question. Thank you for the listener who sent that in, who wanted to remain anonymous. But uh, that was the beginning point. And the, the, the results of my study of all those various texts are found in my book, what is hell? So if you have questions about those texts, about the lake of fire and what the Bible teaches about Gehenna and Hades and Sheol, okay, uh, I put it all in my book, What is Hell, which uh, you can get to uh, learn more about this idea, okay? So uh, thank you for again for sending in that question. If you have a question for me that you would like me to answer, either by email, I don't get to all the emails, I apologize, I get too many, uh, but some of them I picked to answer on this podcast. Just go to my website, redeeminggod.com, scroll to the bottom, click that link there that says contact me, fill out the contact form, and uh, I will get your question that way. Okay? Thank you. So let's go on to our study of Ephesians 1.13. All right, so we're looking at, we're working our way verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. Today we're looking at Ephesians 1.13. And uh, again, this is part of a very long sentence from Paul in the Greek, Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14, one long sentence, uh, where Paul is telling us all about our spiritual blessings, our spiritual resources, our spiritual possessions that we have as a result of uh, Jesus Christ, being in Jesus. Okay? We've seen that we have eternal security, we have adoption, we have... uh, 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 inheritance from the Father, okay? All of this is related to election and predestination, all of these things that we've discussed in previous podcast studies and episodes. Um, And uh, we've also saw last week that uh, we also have salvation in Jesus. And this is not referring to eternal life, as I talked about last week, but instead it's pointing to uh, the redemption, the release from the captivity of sin, so that we can live according to to God's will in our lives. All right, listen to previous podcast episodes to learn more about that. Also, we'll be discussing it at great length when we get to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that concept of salvation. Okay, so today we're looking, though, at Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. I'm sorry, Ephesians 1, 13, where Paul writes about the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And the sealing of the Spirit has special significance for Christians. It's an important topic And so I'm going to spend two podcast episodes talking about one today on Ephesians 1.13 and then next week on Ephesians 1.14. All right. And uh, today we're just going to be looking at sort of a theological topic from this verse, which is mainly the difference between the sealing of the Spirit 
and the filling of the Spirit. I'm not exactly explaining the text today. I'm taking a little tangent or rabbit trail to talk about the topic of the sealing of the Spirit, the theological topic. Okay, so uh, the goal is to answer the question, what is the difference between being sealed by the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit? If someone were to ask you that question, how would you answer? Do you know the difference? Um, We're going to try to answer that for you today so that you can be well-informed and know the difference. Specifically, we're going to sort of look at the different conditions for being sealed and being filled and then also the different results of being sealed versus being filled. Okay. First off, though, Paul does mention that this is the Holy Spirit of promise there in, in uh, 1.13, Ephesians 1.13. And so I want to talk briefly about that. Uh, and, and maybe let me come up about this from sort of a, a, a side route here. Have you ever wondered why Jesus Christ had to leave this earth? I mean, wouldn't it be nice if he was still here? You know, still maybe walking around in Israel or something, and we could go listen to him, and we could go hear his teaching, and maybe be healed by him. Wouldn't that be nice? I think it would be nice. How much of us would love to go and see Jesus? Uh, You know, listen to him. He'd have a fantastic podcast, wouldn't he? Everybody would be listening to his podcast. Probably there would be lots of Christians who who would want to crucify Jesus because they didn't like what he was saying. Okay? But it would be very nice to eat with Jesus and to, to, to follow him for a couple of years or your whole life, right? If he was here physically, uh, some days I long to be, you know, to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him. So, or, you know, every time I come across a very difficult passage, like when I was writing that book on hell, I spent a lot of time in prayer saying, Jesus, what does this mean? What did you mean here? This made no sense. It would have been very nice. To, to, to go to Jesus or send him an email or whatever and say, Jesus, can you explain this to me? Okay? Uh, I, there, I, here's what Jesus says in John 16, 5 through 8. Okay? And he doesn't really explain why, but here's what he says. He says, now, I am going to him who sent me. That's, that's God the Father. And none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. Okay? So, do you see what Jesus said here? He doesn't explain why, but basically for some unknown reason, and I don't know why, for some unknown reason, the Holy Spirit could not come unless Jesus went away. And Jesus is saying here, it's for your good that the Holy Spirit comes. And it's better. If you had to pick between the Holy Spirit here on earth and Jesus here on earth, now maybe many of us would pick Jesus, but Jesus himself would pick the Holy Spirit. He says, it's for your good that I go away so that I can send the Holy Spirit. If I don't go, the Holy Spirit can't come. Why is it better for the Holy Spirit to be here than for Jesus to be here? Well, the reason is because Jesus was in a physical body. One of the reasons, anyway. And so he can only be at one place at one time. Uh, There can only be a few people around him at one time that he can hear and listen and respond to. Okay, Even if he was here and he had email and you could send him an email— I get a lot of emails. Imagine how many Jesus would get. Millions, billions every day. 
Could he respond? Would he have physically enough time to respond to all of those questions about Bible passages and uh, answer prayer requests? No, he wouldn't. But guess what? The Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is not bound by time. The Holy Spirit is not bound by space. The Holy Spirit does not lose energy. The Holy Spirit does not have to sleep or eat. Okay, so it is better for the Holy Spirit to be here than for Jesus to be here if we had to choose one or the other. And I'm not sure why we have to choose one or the other, but Jesus said we did. And so we need to trust Jesus on that and also agree with him that if if it is between one or the other, then the Holy Spirit is better. So that's what Paul is talking about here, that we have that the Holy Spirit, in referring to the Holy Spirit of promise. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come, and now the Holy Spirit has come. Okay, so that's just sort of a, a side note, a tangent. Let's move on to this topic then of being sealed by the Holy Spirit, which Paul talks about here. Now, it's important to understand the difference between sealing by the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. Um, we're going to talk about the conditions and the results of both. So the conditions first, the conditions of sealing versus the conditions of being filled. All right, there's only one condition, and it's mentioned here right in the context. There's only one condition for being sealed with the Spirit, and that's believing. When we believe in Jesus for eternal life, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are immediately sealed with the Holy Spirit, and we are permanently sealed with the Holy Spirit. Okay, So the condition for being sealed is believing in Jesus for eternal life. It's permanent, and uh, it is immediate. It's also silent and invisible. You don't see it. You don't feel it. Now, uh, so what is this seal? We're going to talk more about this next week. But basically for now, to be sealed by the Holy Spirit is sort of like, maybe this isn't the best analogy, sort of like being branded by the Spirit. Okay, you know what branding is? Ranchers, I grew up in Montana. Ranchers have these huge uh, thousands of acres, and they got cows on them. So they round up all the cows, especially the newborn ones, the ones that are a year. They were born this last year. They get the fire, they get the brand out there, and they seal it. What's the seal do? It's a mark of ownership. The seal, or it's a brand. It's showing that this cow belongs to that rancher. It's the same idea. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit doesn't burn us with a brand, but it's the same idea. It's a mark of ownership. It's proof that we belong to God. All right, and this brand, once it's on you, cannot, it's lifelong. It cannot be removed. It cannot be taken away. All right, so um, we receive it by simply by believing in Jesus for eternal life. Once we do that, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's a, an aspect of eternal security. Okay, what about filling with the Spirit, though? What are the conditions of filling? Well, Paul writes about being filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5.18. That's in the section about things we're supposed to do as followers of Jesus. And so no surprise there, and we'll, talk, we'll be talking a lot more about it when we get to Ephesians 5.18, but uh, there are conditions to being filled. Uh, and um, you can lose your filling, you can be filled more or less, you, you can fail to be filled at all, okay? And, and you are not automatically filled when you believe in Jesus for eternal life. And being filled with the Spirit is not permanent either. Um, it is conditionable, conditioned upon you submitting yourself to the Holy Spirit. Okay? Sort of inviting the Holy Spirit to fill you. Saying, saying, Holy Spirit, I give control of my life over to you. In fact, that's probably the best way to think about being filled with the Holy Spirit, is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is to let the Holy Spirit control you. Okay, 
So uh, probably a good analogy here, maybe, is to think of sealing versus filling as if your life were a car. When you buy a car, you register it with the state and you put your license plates on it. That is sort of like being sealed by the Holy Spirit. Okay, The registration and the insurance papers and the ownership and the license plate, it shows that you own the car. Now, if you have a loan, of course, the bank owns it, but you understand the idea. It shows that you own the car. It helps identify that you are the legal driver of this car, that you didn't steal it. It belongs to you. Okay? So similarly, when we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, God puts his mark on us. He sort of puts his license plate on us, in a sense, says that he owns us. Okay? We belong to him. All right? Now, you're driving the car around because you own it. You bought it. Your license plates are on it. Uh, you don't know what you're doing, so you crash a lot. It's not very good uh, because uh, you have, you know, in this, spirit, in this analogy here, you never really learn to drive. And so the filling of the Holy Spirit is you sort of taking a driver's ed course with the Spirit. You invite the Spirit into your car that you own. Of course, in this analogy, it's owned by God. But uh, the Spirit is invited into the car so that the Spirit can teach you how to drive the car. And initially what happens, the Spirit drives the car around for you. Okay, When you are filled with the Spirit, the Spirit takes control of the car. But at any time you want, you can say, okay, Spirit, I got this. I figure out how this works. I I've watched you enough. Get out. I'm taking over. And guess what? The Spirit will. Spirit will open up the door and climb out and say, okay, have at it. Let's see how this works. Of course, you're going to drive yourself into a ditch again. So then you say, okay, Spirit, I guess I didn't know as much as I thought I did. Please come back in and fill the car again, drive the car again, and I'll learn some more hopefully this time around. Okay? It's sort of uh, an analogy of how it works between being uh, sealed and filled. Being filled is inviting the Spirit into the car of your life to drive the car around for you, to give you a driver's ed course on how to live your life as a follower of Jesus. Okay, so that's the difference, conditions sort of, between being sealed and being filled. Being sealed is immediately and permanently upon being uh, believing in Jesus for eternal life. It's a mark of ownership. And being filled or being controlled by the, by the Holy Spirit is just when you give control of your life over to the Spirit, and it can come or go, it can wane and, uh, and you know, become more or less as time goes by. Uh, but uh, that's it's it's helping it's allowing the Holy Spirit to guide and control your life. Okay, so those are the conditions. What are the the results though? The results of being filled. Well, when you believe uh, the results of of being sealed and filled filled, I should say, it's sort of hard to say those two words together. Sealed and filled. The results, the results of being sealed and filled. Anyway, a bit of a tongue twister. When you believe in Jesus for eternal life. There are four things that happen immediately to you in relation to the Holy Spirit. I was taught in Bible college that they spell the acrostic ribs, R-I-B-S. Okay, that'll help you remember these four things that happen immediately when you believe in Jesus for eternal life. First is you are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. That is, you are given new life, eternal life uh, in Jesus. Second, the Holy Spirit indwells you, comes in and resides in you. That's the I. The Spirit uh, lives within you. God enters the house of your life, in a sense. Uh, third, B, the Spirit baptizes you. You receive Spirit baptism. 
lots of people, lots of Christians who think that baptism comes and goes, or baptism is something that happens to you after you become a Christian. That's not true. There are a few instances of that in the book of Acts. Uh, but as I've talked about in previous podcast episodes, the the delayed baptism of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts is because Peter was unlocking the keys of the kingdom to p- different people groups in the book of Acts. And once those doors to these various people groups in the book of Acts were unlocked and opened, then baptism from that point forward, spirit baptism from that point forward, is immediately and instantaneously, uh, it happens at the same time when you believe in Jesus for eternal life. So R-I-B-S, regeneration, indwelling, baptism, and sealing, what we're talking about now, sealing of the Holy Spirit. That is also something that happens to you from a spiritual perspective when you believe in Jesus for eternal life. Okay? Now, what's interesting about all four of these, regeneration, indwelling, baptism, and sealing, is that they're all four instantaneous, and they cannot be repeated, and they cannot be reversed. Okay? You cannot, uh, once you are regenerated, become unregenerated. Once you are indwelled, you cannot become undwelt. Once you are baptized, you cannot reverse your baptism, your spirit baptism. Same with sealing. Once you've been sealed, you cannot reverse your sealing. You cannot become unsealed. Okay? So those are just, it's, it's, those are some of the results related to sealing. Regeneration, indwelling, baptism, sealing, they're all different, but they're all sort of in the same uh, ballpark camp as far as what the Spirit does for us. And... A filling by the Spirit is completely different, okay? I've already said it is something that can be repeated. It is something that can be lost. Uh, Now, we need to make sure, of course, that neither neither sealing nor baptism nor filling or any of that, sometimes we get the idea that if we don't get goosebumps and chills up our spine, that maybe we haven't received the Holy Spirit. And the reason, again, we think that is because there's some various bad teaching in Christian circles today that says, oh, you got to speak in tongues or you don't have the Holy Spirit, that's baloney. Uh, again, it's related to the book of Acts, that, that bad idea, and I've already talked about that. The, the speaking in tongues and the signs and miracles were outward signs that the, the Gentiles and the Samaritans truly had been accepted into the kingdom, truly could believe in Jesus for eternal life. It wasn't just for the Jews. Okay, so the, the signs and miracles there, they did occur in the book of Acts. But again, after that, once people believed in Jesus for eternal life, it would already been accepted and widely known that, that, that Gentiles and Samaritans could believe. And so don't think that if you haven't had the chills or the goosebumps or spoken in tongues or performed signs and miracles, had visions or dreams or anything like that, that you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you believed in Jesus for eternal life, you have been regenerated, indwelled, baptized, and sealed. Okay, but filling, it can become, it, it can... Uh, you, it, it can be repeated, it can be lost, and again, you're not always going to feel, maybe not ever feel, the goosebumps, shivers, and chills, but I think over time, as you learn to let the Holy Spirit drive the car of your life, you will learn to recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit more, uh, his still, small voice whisper in your mind as you study Scripture and as you seek God's will in prayer, and as you, it's not chills and goosebumps necessarily, but you do become more in tune to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Okay? Now, um, to, to be filled with the Holy Spirit then is to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And of course, when you are controlled, as we're talking about results of being filled, when you are controlled by the Holy Spirit, what happens to you? What are the results? Well, <laughs> the Holy Spirit comes into your life to do all sorts of things. 
wants to show you how to truly live as God wants and desires, right? Wants to show you, to use that analogy from the car earlier, wants to show you how to drive on the roads of life without driving into the ditch or running someone over. Okay, the Holy Spirit is giving you driving lessons. So it's going to get rid of sin in your life, get rid of the spiritual blindness in your life. It's going to teach you how to pray. The Spirit is going to teach you what Scripture means. Uh, The Holy Spirit is going to help produce the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Obviously, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. So there's all sorts of things. Basically, the Holy Spirit is the sanctifying presence of God in your life, making you holy, transforming you into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ, helping you uh, live and love like Jesus. So those are some of the things that uh, will result from the filling of the Holy Spirit in your life. Okay? Now, the reason Paul is talking about this sealing now and then filling later in the second half of Ephesians, the filling, is because in that second half of Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, Paul is going to list a whole lot of things that we should be doing as Christians. And honestly, if you're trying to do those by your own power and your own strength, you're trying to drive your car on those ways, it's overwhelming. It's impossible. There are numerous impossible tasks that Paul writes about in Ephesians. And if you try to do them on your your own, (laughs) good luck. You're going to burn out faster than a tiny candle in a hurricane. Okay? Uh, But but with the Spirit, with the indwelling, guiding, uh, filling, sealing, of the Spirit, all of these things become possible. The Spirit empowers us, guides us, directs us, shows us how to do these impossible tasks, these impossible things that God wants us to do and instructs us to do. Okay, so that's all sort of a theological background to the sealing of the Spirit versus the filling of the Holy Spirit. I hope all of that makes sense. You'll have to keep it in mind Next week, when we pick back up, we're going to sort of do Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 again, but this time looking specifically at these texts, these verses, and what Paul is writing about in them. Today was just sort of introductory background uh, theology. Uh, pneumatology is the word they, they use in, in Bible college and seminary. Pneuma, spirit, Ology, study of, study of the Holy Spirit. That's what we did today, just so we could be better prepared to understand Ephesians 1, 13, and 14 when we look at them in depth next week. Hey, thank you so much for listening today. Hope you appreciate it and were encouraged by this podcast. If you believed in Jesus for eternal life, guess what? You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Thank God, right? Um, If you're struggling with sin and temptation and understanding Scripture and prayer and how to live your life, you might want to spend some time in prayer Uh, asking God, asking the Holy Spirit specifically to take control of your life, to enter into the car of your life and give you some driver's ed lessons about how to drive your car around in the way that God wants. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for supporting this podcast. Those of you in my discipleship group, thank you so very much. Your monthly support keeps this podcast going, keeps the uh, courses coming. There's a new course, by the way, a new lesson, by the way, in my Gospel Dictionary Online course. I just put it up last week. Uh, It's on the word lost, and so uh, get in there and take that lesson if you want. I'm currently working on the word love, so look for that sometime soon. Hey, thank you so much again. We'll see you next week when we pick back up looking at Ephesians 1, 13, and 14. See you then. Bye.